The following is a message from the pulpit of Parkside Baptist Church in Mesquite, Texas, led by Pastor Mike Wells. Well, if you will be seated, please, and take your Bible and find Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. What and I have been honored to be in the presence of some of God's choice sermon uh, uh, servants this week, the missionaries. And uh, how wonderful it's been to be in their presence and, and be uh, challenged again to be a part of it. Be a terrible thing to be selfish with what God's given us, wouldn't it? And uh, we need to work on that. In the book of Ephesians, it's quite interesting. We'll look at it here in a moment and uh, get our thought. Someone said, you better hurry. I am hurrying. <laughs> you can't tell when a man's hurrying? Uh, I'm hurrying. I have one other speed, and you sure wouldn't like it. A lot of folks, a lot of our kind of folks, usins, uh, we, we talk about uh, the government these days, and we get worried about how they're spending other people's money. We just carry on about it, all that uh, foreign aid and all this and all that. And I hear our people say, and if we're not careful, all of us would say it, that I just wish the government would remember they don't have any money. That money belongs to us taxpayers. Yeah, we say that. And we tend to become very hypocritical as Christians when we say that because we've spent a lifetime spending God's money like it belonged to us. Just as the politicians one day will give an account to the voter, you and I one day will give an account to God for the way we've handled his money. He wants us to handle it. He puts it in our hands to do that. But we need to be very careful about how we do it, you see. Most Christians spend their time and their money just like it belonged to them. Sad statement. All the time either forgetting or ignoring that God owns everything and he's assigned us as managers of it, not owners of it. And when you and I decide that possession equals ownership, we're in bad spiritual shape. God puts it in our hands to pass it on for his work. Now, we've talked about a lot of things this week. We, we, we've talked about preparing to steward your life. We talked about that holy presentation that that must take place before we can do any of the rest of it the way it ought to be. Uh, we've talked about several things, but I, I come tonight to talk to you about the proper stewarding of our life now. Uh, if we're going to get it in shape, we ought to be in shape. And so let's talk about that 
for a few moments uh, this morning, and uh, we're, we're going to we're going to talk if you don't mind. Well, I shouldn't ask if you mind. We're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> we're going to talk about our responsibility with the clock and the dollar. Our responsibility with the clock and the dollar. When the scripture speaks of stewardship, it includes much more than just money. But it most surely includes money. That's the gist of it. Jesus said more about the money than anything else he ever said. Uh, a steward is a manager. God owns everything. We're to put it at his disposal. I want you to listen carefully. He owns our time. Not one minute of it belongs to us. I said, he owns our time. People get all upset if church runs about 10 minutes over. They've got on my time. I don't mean to slaughter the king's English, but we ain't got no time. It's God's time. God owns our time. He owns our tongue. What we say should glorify him. He owns our mind, our thoughts, our opinions, our attitudes, and all of those things ought to be governed by him. They ought to bring glory to him. He owns our family. He owns our spouse, our children, our job, our house, our car, our clothes, our bank account. And this ownership is to be tangibly acknowledged in the way that we use them. And it's not. Many, many Christians, if all the world had to see to know about God was their life, they would never know about God. They handle their time just like lost people. They handle their money just like lost people. And yet God is saying, this is the way you manifest the reality of God. So there, there are two facets of stewardship I want to talk about. Uh, there are better names for it, but I like these. The clock and the dollar. Some of you are old enough here. I, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Amen. Some of you here are old enough to remember the Partridge family on television. Your old coots surely will remember them. You remember the young boy, David Cassidy? Play, play, I don't remember what he played, but David Cassidy was his name. Uh, the young man grew up to become quite a rock star and then a movie star and had everything the world had to offer was presented to him. Went through a period of time when he became a doper, trying everything the world had. He died uh, January, was a year ago. 65 years old. It, it is attributed to his daughter that these were David Cassidy's last words. Quote, so many wasted years. I most surely don't want that on my tombstone. Amen. So many 
wasted year. A, a man who had all the talent, all the ability, and everything the world had to offer wasted his entire life. So let us look first of all at the stewardship of the clock. When you come to the book of Ephesians, you, you know for sure. Now you're in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and we're going to look at a couple of verses in a minute. But as always, the context of the verses is very important to the meaning. So uh, you have your Bible open to verse uh, to, to chapter 5. If it won't exert you too much, look at chapter 4. I want us to pick up just a verse. I want us to just kind of walk across to our text. It won't take but a minute. Now, we come to chapter 4 and verse 1. And Paul begins to talk about a Christian walk. And he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. I would remind you that you are called. And I would remind you that we're commanded to walk worthy. Look at verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Could we say from that verse it is quite possible for a person who is saved to act just like the world, walk just like the world, and think just like the world. And the Holy Word of God says, don't do that anymore. Look at chapter 5 and verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That, that would, we could spend the morning there, couldn't we? And now we come to our text. After hearing all of that, and there's so much that could be said about it all, we get to verse 15 of chapter 5, and Paul says, See then, evidently he expects us to get something out of what we've been reading. He said, Now you've read this, you've listened, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. When it comes to this clock thing, this time thing, the responsibility bears down on us due to the walk that we're supposed to be walking. And verse 15 is quite interesting. See then that you walk circumspectly not as fools. Now not only can we walk like a Gentile and think like a Gentile and, and take care of our money like a Gentile, but we can act a fool. We who are saved, married, have children, all the rest of it, can just act like a fool with the way we handle our time and the way we handle our money. That's just most interesting. It is to me. 
And, and so here we're commanded. Now, walk wisely. Uh, step number one, redeeming the time. Buying back the time. Why? For the days of evil. And, and it would be foolish for you and I and this church and any other saved person to think that God's any more interested in how a Christian spends his money than they are how a Christian spends his time. God's very interested in how we spend our time, you see. Now, in, in this world, some people have more money than other people. That's just a gimme. Nobody got any more time than you have. I hear people, I don't know what in the world, I think they're acting a fool, but I hear them say, well, if I just had the time the preacher has. <laughs> well, I don't know how to dump this on you. I know he's a good man, and I know he's deserving of everything, but he ain't got no more time than you have. There's 24 hours, seven days a week, right down the line, just like it. Every one of us are equally wealthy when it comes to this time thing. We've all got the same amount to do the same thing with, and we need to be very wise in how we handle it, you see. Matthew 6.33 gives us a little hint on it. It says, seek you first. Now, I know we have a college here. I may need to work on that word first where you could understand that. Hmm? Have you got that one? Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And yet we spend all of God's time seeking after those things, and God says, cut it out. Don't act like a fool. Just seek me first, and I'll add all those things to you. It's amazing. We just walk right over it, you see. And he, that, that Sermon on the Mount, we, we are not going there to, to this morning, but it covers all of it pretty good. How we spend our time, how we, how we spend our life trying to amass, uh, amass materials, and we don't invest our time in the eternal things of God. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount covers it pretty good. And he follows it up with these words in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. Right. See, where a man spends his time, that tells you what he loves. Yeah. Where a man spends his time, that tells you what's important to him. Where a man spends his time, that really tells you what he worships. And you need to understand that. And uh, all of us. Have you ever talked to anyone and... Uh, you looked at them, you're trying to talk to them, you can tell the light's on, but nobody's home. You ever talk to folks like that? And then you go to someone else and say, you know, I was talking to Brother So-and-so today, and it just, he just seemed like he was preoccupied. You ever do that? Do you know what preoccupied is? means you've got something on your mind except what's going on. Except what's important. And a lot of Christians are preoccupied with the wrong thing. 
We who are saved and on our way to heaven are to be preoccupied with the things of God. Let me, let me define it another way. I don't think you got it. You and I are to make intentional choices about what will occupy our mind and our body and our finances. We are to make intentional choices about it. That's why you sit there with a card in your hand. You can make an intentional choice. Now, you can't put your tithe on that card. Someone says, well, I, I, I just lump it all together. You can't lump it all together. The tithe is the Lord's. The Bible instructs us there's one thing you can do with the tithe. That's to bring it, no strings attached, to the house of God. From your house to the house of God. You can't, you can't designate it. Uh, you, you can't get mad at the preacher and teach him a lesson by designating your tithe. You're going to get a spiritual knot on your head. Now, that's called stealing. Now, you don't want to do that. But you have a card there that deals with your giving. That comes after the tithe. The tithe, you, you don't have any say about that. Amen. The tithe is the Lord's. But now that card you hold in, see, you can make intentional spiritual choices about obeying God concerning what he would have you give to missions. And everybody ought to do that. It's just an absolute, absolute thing that you ought to do. And uh, yet, see, that's not what we're teaching our kids. We're teaching our kids that the things they ought to be preoccupied with is little league ball games and, and, and junior football and soccer and uh, getting a good education and having a good profession where they can make a whole bunch of money. That's what we're teaching our children. You say, how? By our lifestyle. That's what they think is important because they see us preoccupied with those things, you see. I used to hear sermons. Now, this is going to be frightening and give you the shivers. I used to hear sermons on self-denial preached in Baptist churches. We have forgot about that. We think we're entitled. Self-denial? No. Uh, you need to do more, God, for me. And it's not about what... No, you got it mixed up there. But let me say this. Let, let me cut to the core here. If you are interested in following Christ, if you intend to grow as a Christian, you're going to have to be disciplined in how you spend your time. Well, that's not going over good. It turned to Luke chapter 16, and let's see how the money thing works out. The time thing didn't go good. You'll love this one. We talked about the stewardship of the clock. Now we're going to talk about the stewardship of the dollar. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and following. Luke 16, verse 10. Jesus is speaking. He said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. 
If, therefore, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Well, back, back to English. Jesus is saying, if I can't trust you with something as temporal and as fleeting as money is, why would you think I could trust you with any of the true spiritual riches? I mean, it's just a fact, Jack. You know, if you've not been proven faithful with the little, you'll never be faithful, you'll never be given the much. Someone says, well, if I had as much money as so-and-so, no, you'd be just like you are now. You'd still be hung up. You'd still be looking at that, you see. And we ought not overlook the fact that this, these four verses are sandwiched between two amazing stories. I'm not going to take the time to look at them. You look at them. The first story in Luke 16 is the story of that unjust steward. I mean, he's an absolute crook. And God commended him as being wiser than some Christians are. Read it. And then the, the next story is the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And, and, uh, and both of them have the, how that you can waste your life by using your wealth the wrong way. By using your money the wrong way. And it's an amazing thing when you look at it. it. It speaks of how wise or how foolish someone here on earth is when it comes down to this thing of stewarding God's money. And there are a lot of people like that. Look at verse 14. Here, here's a crowd that's still with us. And the Pharisees, <laughs> yeah, also who were covetous, has one good meaning, they love money. Covetous, they loved money, all right? They, they were covetous, they heard all these things. What had they heard? They heard Jesus give that parable of the unjust steward. They heard Jesus talk about, if you've not been right, uh, uh, faithful in that which is little, and they, look what they did. They derided him. They made fun of him. They said, listen to that foolishness. Why, it sounds like Baptist today. See? But then in Luke chapter 12, in verse 15, he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That's not what life is all about. Let's, let, we've got about five minutes here. I want, you to, I want you to look at something. I want us to think about this money thing. I want you to think about it biblically. Nothing new here, all right? I, I, I looked over the pastor's Sunday school lesson for today. Wonderful stewardship lesson. Nothing new here. Just listen to it. The, the money thing. What is it? What is it all about? Well, number one, it's a trust. It's a trust. It's something that God hath entrusted into our care. And, and it's given to us 
to invest on his behalf. And the idea is that if we'll do it properly, we'll get a great return on it. That's a biblical concept. Luke 6, 38. Are you ready? Give, and it shall be given unto thee. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Watch out, here comes the principle. For with the same measure you meet without, it shall be measured unto you again. Good, good return on God's money. It is a trust. Number two, it is a tool. It's a tool. He, he expects us to take this money and use it to further his work on earth. Why, why do you think you're alive? Why do you think you have money? Hmm? Think about it. You know, it's, it's to be used to reveal his glory and relate his gospel. And it should never, never become an end in itself. It's a tool. Have you, you know, a tool, the value of a tool is determined by how you use it. You, you, you can have you the most expensive uh, table saw in the world sitting out in your garage somewhere. And if you don't ever use it, you know how much it's worth to you? Nothing. The value of a tool is determined by its use. Take a, take, suppose I took one of you out on my yacht. Hundred footer. Three bedroom. Bath and a half. And you can't swim, dummy. <laughs> Someone said, why would you use that? Because I can't swim. Someone said, why can't you swim? Because my mama told me to stay away from water until I learned how. <laughs> well, we get you out there in the lake and you fall off the boat and you're drowning. And there's a loop of old rope laying there, a coil of old rope. And I take that rope and I throw it to you and I pull you in. Now, I want you to listen carefully. Don't miss it. The rope is not what's important in that issue. It's the drowning man that was saved. The rope is just the tool that was used to save him and that makes the rope valuable. The money is just a tool to get folks saved. When we use it right, it's valuable. When we don't, it's worthless. It, 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 it's a tool. And number three, it's a test. It's a test. God often gives us something of lesser value as a test to see if he can trust us with greater things. He always has done that. By the way, God can give you as much or as little as he chooses. That's his work, you see. And number four, it's a thermometer. A thermometer. How you spend your money 
really does tell what kind of Christian you are. It'll work it out. See, uh, your money will determine your spiritual, how you handle your money determines your spiritual temperature. You say, that's not biblical. It sure is. Sure. The Bible talks about Christians who are cold or hot or lukewarm. And money is a temperature. It'll determine what your spiritual temperature really is. You see, Matthew 6, 24 is still in the book. No man can serve two masters. He didn't say it'll be hard for you to do it. He said you can't do it. No man can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God and money. The clock and the dollar, they tell the story, don't they? I want to offer you some helps, some, some one-sentence helps here. Uh, you, you probably ought to jot them down. If you want to be a growing Christian, you're going to have to learn to assess your time and money expenditures. You're going to have to learn to assess. You're going to have to write them down. Uh, in other words, we call it this, a schedule and a budget. You're going to have to do it. You need to schedule your time, budget your money. Number two, now just because I'm going pretty quick don't mean you need to think about it. Number two, set some goals. Set yourself some spiritual goals about how you're going to handle your money, how you're going to handle your time. You need to write them down. You need to write down what you're going to start doing today that'll make you any different 365 days from now than you are right now. And if you don't do it, let me give you the news. You'll be exactly where you are a year from now. You'll make no progress at all. You'll be no closer to God because you didn't make intentional choices to do so. And number three, just exercise some faith. Step outside your comfort zone for one time. Just try God. He, he, he said it better. He said, prove me. Prove me herewith with the tithe and the offering. And then we who are afraid we're going to lose everything, he says, and see if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pull you out of blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive. Now, if you need a Greek scholar to help you with that, you're in trouble. With the same thing God uses to prove us, he said, I'll let you use it to prove me. And we need to give to him. Now, you, 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 you know that. You've got enough of that. Let's come to the important thing now. You're sitting here today. Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you've been here for years. Maybe you just walked in. But if you're sitting here today and you don't know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. If you've never been saved, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have anything to give. You need to receive. You need to receive Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who giveth us eternal life.
And God's very willing to do that. Jesus died on Calvary's cross that your sins could be forgiven and you could be saved and go to heaven when you died. So I'd like to ask everyone in the auditorium to bow their head. I want you to, I want you to pray. Thank you for joining us today. For more audio or video content, you can visit our website at parksidebaptist.org.